gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you need this. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from Ryan Reynolds and how to make your CEO the face of your marketing. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Liam. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. That is Liam Barnes, head of demand gen at Bionic, the leader in providing deep visibility into application architecture risk. Excited to talk about Ryan Reynolds today. We asked Liam what he wanted to talk about. What are his favorite movies and TV shows? And he just screamed, Ryan Reynolds, as quick as possible. So uh, that's what we're talking about today. Maybe not quite. Uh, close the, enough. Yeah, close enough. It was via email, but I could feel the screaming. Yeah, starting off, just tell us a little bit about Bionic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so Bionic, for people who don't know the industry, is in the application security space. Uh, what we call ourselves is ASPN, or Application Security Posture Management. And basically, to put it as dumbed down as possible, we help companies secure the applications that they run in their cloud environments in production. So when you think about all the hacks and data breaches and all that stuff that happens at companies, usually it happens in production. So we're scanning their production environment and looking for vulnerabilities and threats and things like that. And if you want to hear a deep dive on Liam and how he thinks about marketing and demand, you can go listen to the full episode of him on the Demand Gen Visionaries podcast with yours truly. All right, so... Ryan Reynolds, Liam, why the heck do you want to talk about him today? Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, like many other people in this world, I think we're kind of fascinated by him in, in many different ways. One, I think he's a very you know likable, personable actor. Whether or not he actually is a good person, I have no idea. First question: Why such a? C- I'm kidding. I'm totally. I'm kidding. That's the second question. I skipped ahead. I don't know him personally, so. But he does come across as this very likable, funny, charismatic type person. And for me, one of my favorite movies is Deadpool. And it's like this weird, twisted humor, but also action-y, making fun of, uh, you know, the the typical Marvel movie. And then also, you know, I think probably two or three years ago, out of nowhere, he just popped up, started buying companies, building companies, and then doing his own marketing. So, yeah, just from like a... It, you know, a person on the outside looking in, it's pretty fascinating to see everything that he does. Zooming out for a second here. Meredith, 
Who the heck is Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, so Ryan Reynolds is a Canadian-American actor who's originally from Vancouver. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire for this show and many other shows at Caspine Studios. He's also a screenwriter, producer, and now entrepreneur. His career really took off, at least in my eyes, after starring in National Lampoon's Van Wilder. Remember my credo, Timmy! Don't be a fool! Stay in school! That was the first thing that I really saw him in, but he also starred in and co-starred in movies like Waiting, Just Friends, and Adventureland. And more recently, the Deadpool franchise, which is coming up on Deadpool 3, and that's set to release in 2024. Captain Deadpool. No, just just Deadpool, Deadpool, yeah. And like I said, he's invested in, or now has ownership over several companies, most notably Aviation Gin, which actually sold originally for $610 million and then resold for $845 million. So... It's doing very, very well. Mint Mobile, which is a mobile phone carrier. Maximum Effort, which is a film production and digital advertising agency. And that sold to a company called Mountain, which is stylized M-N-T-N, for an undisclosed amount. And then he also now co-owns the Wrexham Association Football Club. Hello there, I'm Ryan Reynolds, co-chairman of the Welsh football club Wrexham AFC. He's invested in 1Password, which is a password software management company, and Wealthsimple, a Toronto-based financial management company. So he has kind of his hand in all sorts of things, but has notably done it very, very well for someone who is originally sort of known as an actor. To me, Ryan has sort of two careers. He has sort of the early phase in his career where he is this like young, charming, charismatic, good-looking, funny actor who's sort of in a bunch of stuff. And then you can see this split in his life before Deadpool in 2016, where he starts to take a bunch of agency over himself, his roles, his life, and sort of this realization that he's kind of betting on himself and betting on his celebrity and kind of going in this other direction, which is he took a huge amount of responsibility for Deadpool, which we'll get into here in a second. He, you know, bought or partially bought these companies, is very involved in it and became the face of it. And I think that you could make a pretty good point here about the idea of like having a single creative that's responsible for these things and that clarity of vision and focus that he's had. But this this sense of ownership and the way that he does this tongue-in-cheek, everything is with a wink, Why can't you be like other actors? Good ones. Everything is very clever and interesting, uh, which is only done in sort of the way that he does it. But it also lends you to this situation where when we're buying his stuff, we're buying a little bit of Ryan and he's sort of vouched for it. And we know that he's in control and we know that he's doing this. And it's just really, really novel. There's things like this that have happened over time, but not sort of in the productization of himself in the way that he's done this, right? A gin is just a gin, but when Ryan Reynolds is behind it, now it it means something more. It kind of goes back to my point about him being like this charismatic, funny, relatable character. And he really kind of puts it out there, I think, in most of his roles that you see, I mean, even going back to like Just Friends, Van Wilder, he was kind of this like funny, quirky, outgoing, was always kind of the center of attention, but not kind of like the cocky center of attention that you don't like. 
and so I think he's just done a very good job with kind of building, you know, his persona or his personal brand, as we call it in B2B, right? And so as he's starting to build these companies and doing these advertisements and trying to kind of relate with the public, he doesn't really have to try that hard. He just kind of does. I, I look, I'm uncomfortable with the word hero. Um, which I think is maybe just a source of kind of like what his character is uh, as a person. Like maybe he is just a nice, funny, charismatic guy, or he's just done a very good job of every single time he does an ad or he builds a company or whatever that he puts a lot of effort into saying like, hey, I need to make sure that my personal brand is on point. We need to make sure that these ads are really relatable and funny, puts the right people around them. So I'm sure there's many facets that kind of go towards this, but I think it, it kind of comes back to like that charismatic personality. Annika, what do you think? Are you, are you Ryan Stan? I'm a Ryan Stan. That is Annika Das, B2B content marketing manager here at Caspian Studios. I'm going to be honest. I mean, I do love him in movies. I think he's a great actor, but I think more recently in the past few years, he's sort of become more well-known for being married to Blake Lively. So I just want to give her a shout out because I love her. I think a lot of people love her. I want to thank uh, my wife, Blake, who is sitting right there, who is everything to me. Uh, you are the best thing, the best thing that has ever happened to me. Second only to this star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I think their relationship and the way they portray their relationship on social media and stuff is really funny. I used to say to her, I would take a bullet for you. I would, I would, I could never love anything as much as I love you. I would say that to my wife. And then the second I looked in that baby's eyes, I knew in that exact moment that if we were ever under attack, I would use my wife as a human shield to protect that baby. And just like at all of the award shows and the events they go to also, it's just like a really cute dynamic. So I think that makes him even more lovable and relatable. So I feel like all of those factors obviously combined with the fact that he's an amazing actor makes him a great brand representative for his business. And I think also now, like literally every celebrity is coming out with like an alcohol brand, like Kendall Jenner has her tequila, like it's just like endless. So I feel like if you're entering that market as a celebrity, especially like you have to differentiate yourself. And I think he's sort of done that as being like the cool, funny guy almost. I didn't even think about that. And, and maybe I'm underestimating the importance of that. But like, if you think about the typical celebrity relationship and couple, there's the few relationships that we see that have been longstanding, strong, and those people together typically have very strong brands together. Like Beyonce and Jay-Z, for instance. Like, that's a strong brand that they have together. The fact that Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds are so publicly happy together, they joke together, they do a lot of things like on Twitter and on social media together where they're kind of like making jokes to each other. Uh, you've made me the father of my dreams when I thought I only had fun uncle potential. Like just that by itself has a huge impact on why people would want to invest in watching their movies or buying their gin or, you know, using Mint Mobile. I think too, he's in that way appealing to the female audience through his marriage, through their banter and trolling each other on Twitter and Instagram. Two things I would add too is that 
He is really a content machine and he transcends all social media. Like he has more than 21 million followers on Twitter, 4 million subscribers on YouTube, 47 million followers on Instagram, and he's always putting out content. But the other thing I would add is that he actually understands marketing. He went into it very intentionally and he had a real reason for doing that, which is that He really struggled to get Deadpool made in the first place. He says he spent like 10 years trying to get Hollywood to sign off on it. Whose balls did I have to fondle to get my very own movie? I can't tell you, but it does rhyme with Pulverine. And it wasn't until he started using what he described as fairly unorthodox marketing ploys, like leaking test footage of Deadpool. He finally got attention and got them to sign off on it. And so with that kind of spurring his marketing career, he just like dove into it. He also found a business partner that he works really well with named George Dewey. George is a producer who has lots of expertise working for ad agencies. So Ryan Reynolds has somebody who he is partnering with in these endeavors. But he and George working together really thought about how other celebrities are approaching marketing, which is usually investing in luxury and aspirational goods. Whereas he's like, well, what if we went the other way? What if we got into something that was super practical and just forget about everything else? And so Mint Mobile is really one of those ways that he does that. A super affordable wireless carrier. How does Mint Mobile afford to give you premium wireless for just $15 a month? It's because we sublet our ads. And the other thing that he said that I thought was really interesting about marketing is that he's not trying to predict what the market is going to do. He's really doing this high-speed turnaround on ads where he's like, We're trying to move at the exact same speed of culture, not like big legacy companies that are producing ads months in advance and trying to predict what's going to happen. And so he's trying to really be in the moment with his marketing. And so their sort of mentality, that is Brian Reynolds and George Dewey, was they work on these self-imposed, really strict deadlines, turn things around super fast. They're doing unorthodox advertisements. For instance, one of the ads for Deadpool was a Bob Ross-themed wet-on-wet campaign. Okay, let's paint in a few little happy trees there. Nothing wrong with making friends with trees. Now, what you don't want to do is eat these paints. And then they're keeping their ad budgets relatively low, under a million dollars. And so they're doing all of this, which is like kind of counter to how a lot of other marketing campaigns have gone. Yeah, I mean, I'd also add there that his ad campaigns also have the use of a multi-million dollar spokesman in and himself. So it's like if anyone else is going to try to compete with their ad campaigns, they need to go pay twice as much money to go get a celebrity to endorse them. And no celebrity is going to have the level of sort of skin in the game that they do. Like when you buy Aviation Gin, you're like, yeah, I'm putting a few pennies in uh, in Ryan's pocket and I'm not mad about that. In fact, it's probably the alternative where it's like, hey, if I'm going to be drinking gin, I may as well... Uh, Get that sweet taste of juniper berries from our Deadpool guy. I mean, I think also, too, that it's really interesting that he has this business partner, George Dewey, that he's making all this stuff with, who is an advertising exec and uh, spent, you know, years as an agency person. But, you know, Ryan wanted to get Deadpool made for a long time. He wanted to make an R-rated movie. He has very good instincts on what people want. He knew and loved this character of Deadpool. He wanted to make this thing really, really ridiculous. And once he got it, you know, greenlit and could make it, and then he didn't just make it R-rated. He made it like over the top, absolutely ridiculously R. And 
I think that that's another piece here where like he just understands the audience of like what they want from him. Like we want him like unfiltered, unabashedly himself and to be able to do whatever he wants. And because he spent so much time and effort trying to get this made, which was super awful and nobody really wanted it and he had no money, he had to figure out how to be scrappy. And I think that what he learned there was that putting himself front and center and doing all these things that were counterculture were all the things that got people to notice it. You're probably thinking, my boyfriend said this was a superhero movie, but that guy in the red suit just turned that other guy into a fucking kebab. Right? Like, I, I think it's hard to think about Ryan as like an A-list Hollywood actor back in like 2011. Like, I think our generation grew up with Ryan because we saw Waiting and we saw Van Wilder. So like, we knew who he was. But I would probably bet that a slightly older generation didn't necessarily care about him. But like him making Deadpool was like, oh, this is now like our guy. Like we grew up with this. We always thought he was funny. We always thought he was good looking. We always thought he was like this, you know, crazy person. And then now he's putting so much of himself into it. And like that was really obvious. Is the mask muffling my voice? And all the inside jokes poking fun at Marvel and Wolverine and all that. It felt very us versus them, small guy versus the the big studio, all those things that are very relatable. And all that to say, like, that plus having, you know, his business partner be an expert in advertising, knowing how to make ads and how to do that stuff, that them pairing together to do that. We always talk in marketing about, like, fight where you can win. Well, he knew that one of their advantages was him and that he was going to use that as much as humanly possible to do it. What made Deadpool so successful? Well, it's a combination of things. I mean, you got a great director in Tim Miller. You have incredible writers in Rhett Reese. I'm so Paul. bored right now. I don't even know if I'm peeing. So all this to say, super easy and replicable for a B2B company, right? I'm sure you have a celebrity just like hanging around in your back pocket that wants to, you know, take some ownership in your company and, and promote it till the ends of the earth and do all sorts of crazy things. Probably not. Okay, guys, let's get out there and make a difference. You know what to do. But you don't need that to break out. So uh, I'm curious, what are your takeaways? What are your B2B takeaways, Liam, for how you think that some of these lessons that Ryan is teaching us that we could use in our own marketing? Yeah, funny enough, there's a security company called Exonius who has a partnership with Simone Biles, who's the, the Olympic gymnast. Complexity is everywhere. Instead of avoiding challenges or fearing failure, I've learned that you have to focus on what you can control. And at one of the trade shows, they had this big banner of Simone Biles. And the thing was, what do Simone Biles and Exonius or in cybersecurity have in common? And we were all kind of sitting there being like, this makes absolutely no sense. But I remember the ad, that's for sure, uh, which is kind of interesting when you kind of put it that way. And maybe that's because I'm a marketer. Maybe it's just because it's a good ad. But yeah, in terms of true application and B2B, I think there's a few takeaways here. One, the importance, and this is maybe not even just B2B, but you know, in, in general in business, the importance of surrounding yourself with good people who are very good at their job. And with Ryan Reynolds, he had Dewey as his business partner who 
was that creative genius, that ad genius. He understands marketing. He understands culture. He understands people. And the combination of Ryan Reynolds' intrigue and expertise and his like drive to want to actually make these things successful, plus the technical knowledge of Dewey, it's probably a really good partnership and something that other B2B marketing teams should take with them of, hey, it's important to invest in good people because ultimately they'll, they'll help you execute a lot better, right? Resume a crisp high five. For you, 10. So that's, I think, one portion of it. The other portion of it is the importance of having someone who is likable, charismatic, engaging, and someone who's very close and tied and invested into the company, driving the story and driving uh, the thought leadership of the company. And I think, especially in security, we have a really hard time getting founders, getting even evangelists, getting technical people to want to push the story forward. And it's because they just don't have that advertising expertise, the marketing expertise. They were engineers. They're not writers. Uh, and if they were writers, they were like research-based writers. So the creativity side of it was lost. And so it's important to do kind of both things, right? Like partner the the front-running technical people in your company with really, really solid marketers and and help them kind of push the narrative that you guys want to push forward. Yeah, it's a great advice because you're exactly right that our marketing team, we are the George Deweys of the transaction, right? And our Ryan Reynolds is either our CEO or it's our CTO, or if you're selling to HR software, it's your CHRO. If you're selling you know, sales software, it's your CRO. It is the person who is, quote unquote, in the arena. And the thing that I think that Ryan does so well is follow his instincts of what he thinks is good. And obviously he has good instincts, like he wanted to make an R-rated character. And so he made this person super over the top. I'm about to do to you what Limp Bizkit did to music in the late 90s. He wanted to create a gin company that has like a bunch of funny spots that he thinks are funny. He did that. He wanted to own a, a soccer team and, you know, bring a storied franchise back to prominence. And, you know, he did that. And I think that these are the things that he personally thinks that are cool and interesting and fun and funny and clever. And if you use that same scenario of like, maybe it's not fun and interesting and fun and clever, but perhaps, you know, when you're talking to that engineer or CHRO or whoever it is, or your CEO and saying like, what do you find interesting? What do you find important? You can get a lot of insights that way and to figure out what they should be talking and thinking and writing about. And that's something that not a lot of people do. Write that down. The other thing there is, is kind of being that marketing engine behind the person, that they're not a writer, they're not a creator, they're not going to sit down and blog about stuff, they're not going to do these things. And if you can park your marketing engine behind that person and say, oh, we'll do all of that. You just need to speak into a mic or tell me what you care about or talk to your friends or your peers and we're going to extract all of the information and ideas and ideate on all this stuff and then make it look really pretty put it out into the world and put those ad dollars behind it, then you get to a point where you can really make some magic. Are we going to do like some uh, magic? Yeah, man. We're going to be doing something fun. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. I feel like it's 
definitely easier for celebrities to be the face of their own business because they are already well known. They already have like a personal brand in a lot of cases. Like we were talking about, Ryan Reynolds doesn't need to follow the trends because he kind of just sets them himself, um, which is awesome. But I think when you're sort of like looking at B2B, it can be like a little more challenging. Like I think B2C companies can do a lot of influencer marketing and have sort of different creatives and celebrities come in from this space and be in their ads because they are appealing to consumers directly. But for B2B, I think you have to really think outside the box and be creative. And I was sort of like looking online because I was like, have B2B companies even really done this before? And I found a couple of really good examples. One that I'd actually seen like years ago, but just didn't register as influencer marketing. One is from IBM. So IBM B2B company, they have a product called IBM Watson, which is their artificial intelligence platform. And they basically, like IBM Watson, enabled this fashion designer named Gaurav Gupta to create the world's first AI-inspired sari. And they unveiled like this dress at Vogue Woman of the Year. So it is not just a dress, it's not just a gown, it's actually a sari gown. It is something which is very ethereal, and beautiful, it's white, it is future primitive. And I thought that was really cool because it's just like a very different way of partnering with someone who's like really well known in the fashion world. And Gaurav Gupta is like an insane designer. Like he designed the dress Cardi B wore to the Grammys this year. And his pieces look very like out of this world, like almost as if an AI could have created them. So I feel like IBM was sort of ahead of the trend in that way of kind of like bringing him into this creative space to like create a dress that was literally like inspired by an AI. So I thought that was just like a really cool example. And then another company that did something sort of similar, but took a different approach in that they didn't use like a celebrity, but another well-known brand that they partnered with was Microsoft. They partnered with National Geographic, I think around like 2017 to celebrate International Women's Day. And they basically posted like 30 photos on um, five of National Geographic's like Instagram channels because National Geographic has like a ton of different channels depending on like what they're shooting. And all of the 30 photos featured like a story of a woman adventurer or a scientist and in partnering with them, like Microsoft was kind of able to get like a ton of exposure, um, just showing that they were kind of like leaders in innovation. My favorite subject in school is science because you can invent all different kinds of cool things and there's like no limit what you can do. Even though like the photos had nothing to do with Microsoft themselves, it was just like a partnership to kind of like put their name out there. So I feel like there are a lot of ways that brands can like do stuff like this with influencers without kind of like working directly with celebrities, which is what everyone's minds go to when they think of influencer marketing. And I think similarly, like Ryan Reynolds did, maybe instead of looking at what like other companies are doing or what's popular right now, setting your own trend and like taking a risk and seeing if that works is sometimes like a great way to start. Yeah. Another thing that B2B companies do all the time is invite a celebrity to keynote their 
user conference. So this is super popular. This happens a lot. It's the big draw. And the reason why they do it is out of necessity. Because you're like, if we don't get signups for our user conference, the whole world is going to come burning down. And so they will go and spend half a million, a million dollars, whatever it takes to go get, you know, whoever it is. One of the great, wasn't a keynote, but it was a conversation that I had with the writers of Westworld were on a panel back in, I think this was at Twilio's conference back a number of years ago that I was at. And uh, I definitely went and sat in. I was like, this is pretty cool. And they were talking about writing and creating and all that stuff. And I, I thought it was pretty rad. So you do see that part of it of people going and getting celebrities for that. And then that's kind of the end of it, right? Because being a spokesperson would be a massive multi-million dollar investment over time. And yeah, I think that there's a pretty big opportunity to go that direction. I think where people mess it up is, and this is what Ryan Reynolds has done really well, is all of these companies traditionally in B2C land, they go spend an absolute freaking ton of money to shoot and create these ads. Like if you're a car company, even if you're like an alcohol company, whatever, they have really complex shoots. These are extremely expensive. And, you know, the Deadpool video that they did, the Mint Mobile ads, that's just on a green screen. You can see him standing there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, owner of Mint Mobile. The Aviation Gen vasectomy one, like same thing. Like these are things where he's just standing there either in a really easy shoot, uh, which obviously they can probably do with their eyes closed. Fill a tall glass with ice. The way children fill our lives with so much joy. I think that there's a lot more opportunity for people to work with celebrities. Obviously, Caspian, we have a product called The Business Thriller where you can create a story with uh, with an A-list celebrity starring in the podcast. And that's part of the reason why we're doing that is because it's so hard to access actors if you don't know how to work with them, if you don't know how to work with agents, if you don't know how to do that stuff. And for most B2B people, you just don't know how to do that. But I think there is a huge opportunity in the market to use famous A-listers and to make an investment, a multi-year investment into that sort of thing. And I, I don't think people are doing it enough because we're all trying to stand out and it's really, really freaking hard. Funny enough to add on to that, you talked about the user conference and that the person goes and speaks and that's the end of it. I think something that Ryan Reynolds understands is the distribution of the content that he's creating. Whereas he could definitely go and headline user conferences or go and speak at, you know, X, Y, and Z doing like features where he goes and shows up at certain places and people, you know, ask questions and pay attention to him for an hour. Will, Will's Will not Ferrell, coming at all. Will Ferrell's not here, so you, but, but you're here. This is amazing that I'm... Uh, yes. But then like, there's nothing after that. And something that you see companies get really wrong is they put all this time and energy into a user conference and then they gate it and they put it behind this, a paywall or they make you give your information to them, and then nobody sees it after the conference. So either you're having people pay thousands of dollars to come access talks by people you're paying, or what you can do on the, on the other side of it, and honestly what most people would react more positively to is go ahead and have the user conference, then go spend time distributing the content correctly. Go run ads against the, the Westworld video. Have them come to your website and host on your website. Go run ads against the best talks. Host everything in a nice platform that people can access and continue to, to pull clips from it throughout the year and continue to distribute it. It's just something that's a completely missed opportunity because people hear like a Westworld talk that 
Twilio's conference and then they go Google it and they can't find it anywhere. Right. And so, you know, just to kind of pull it back towards the Ryan Reynolds, you know, effect that we're talking about, like he spends low ad dollars creating funny ads and then is putting it out there for people to see. And it's getting distributed because everyone's sharing it. Hey, did you see that the latest, you know, Mint Mobile ad? It looks like, you know, a second grader edited it. Ads are supposed to be fun. Like, you know, that shareability is important. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic that you see a lot in B2B where everything's gated and nobody has access and they're wondering why they're not getting the returns from it. It's because nobody ends up actually seeing it. Yeah, and I think that this is a fundamental change in how we think about conferences. I think the whole reason why people do that is they're so worried that if we make all the content available afterwards, then what is the point of going to the conference? And it's like, no, the conference should be so valuable without the content that people want to go because of the in-person experience, not just because of the talks that they're going to. So I think that there's a reframing there. And I think to your point on the on Ryan Reynolds making cheap ads and owning distribution, I think the thing that people misunderstand about this is that Ryan being in the ads makes the distribution go. I love TV ads. Watching them, making them, being in them. So even if you were to spend a fraction of the marketing dollars, but if you have Ryan in the ads, they will go much further. And like, that's the thing. It's like, would you rather spend a million dollars on Ryan and then $100,000 on the ads or spend $1.1 million on promoting your crappy ads. And like, that is the big difference, right? And like, I'm not saying either one is like right or wrong, but those are the type of decisions that I think so few people are actually saying like, you know, YOLO, we're going to just go do this. And you see people, you know, they do a Super Bowl ad or whatever, which is cool to see, always cool to see B2B companies doing Super Bowl ads. But the idea there is like, you know, that $7 million spot, which again, that could be the best ad people have ever done. So I don't want to disparage that. But just thinking about your ads in terms of how can you make the creative so much better, so much more memorable, so much funnier, and then just put a little bit of that marketing engine and retargeting and A-B testing and all the stuff that we have in our disposal to supercharge that that really good creative, because at the end of the day, if you're just promoting bad creative and boring creative, it's never going to get legs. It never will. You will just have to keep paying, keep paying, keep paying to promote it. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of brings me back to that Coinbase ad in the Super Bowl where they just had the QR code bouncing around. I don't know if you guys remember that one, but like something as simple as that got people talking. And I'm sure, you know, that a, a typical viewpoint would have been, hey, we need to spend lots of money to make the ad really good so that people see the ad and react to the ad. When in reality, they spent no money on the ad. They spent money on the placement. And then all of the value that they got was from people Googling, what the hell is that QR code, right? And so that's when the, the SEO team comes in and making sure that Coinbase ranks number one for every QR code-related search after that so that when people were searching, they would show up. So the value is actually after that the ad is delivered uh, and they focus more on the placement rather than the, the actual creative itself. So Liam, I know that you can't turn somebody's CEO into Ryan Reynolds. Wow. 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 But we talked about this a little bit about how there are traits that Ryan has in terms of the familiarity with the problem, familiarity with the audience that your CEO probably does have. 
I'm curious, like, what are some other thoughts on how we could supercharge that CEO's personality or supercharge their ability to get your story out into the market uh, and use them as a spokesperson better? Because I'm I'm firmly in the belief that if you look at the tech, quote unquote, hero CEOs, uh, and I'm talking B2B tech, you know, the Aaron Levies and the Stuart Butterfields of the world or Mark Benioff or whoever, or even like Melanie Perkins at Canva, that those folks absolutely are out there and their marketing teams are putting them out there more. So Liam, what are some thoughts on on how to do that better? Yeah, f- funny enough, a lot of the companies that you mentioned and typically the companies where we see a lot of charismatic CEOs are typically not in super technical fields. Um, and if they are, it's usually not the founder. It's much further down the line where that more charismatic person comes in, right? So Melanie Perkins, marketing tech, Mark Benioff, sales tech, like they're, the people that they market to are more charismatic people typically as well. When it comes to more technical B2B companies, which is the space that I'm kind of working in, it's less about trying to make that person charismatic. There should be a map just to get out of his eyes. It's more about trying to make that person relatable to who we're selling to, right? So our CEO and CTO are ex-engineers and security folks, and we're selling to engineering and security folks right? So I don't have to make you the most charismatic person. I just have to make you relatable. And you have shared experiences with those people. You've been in security before. You've been through the gritty grindy of writing code and building systems and doing DevOps and running security teams and doing the security research, right? And so just talking about those personal experiences and relating it to what those teams are going through, that's all you really need. Now, it takes a little bit of training. You still have to be able to speak clearly and not be monotone and and things like that, which, you know, there's people out there that can help with like training and CEO coaching and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's not trying to turn them into somebody they're not because typically that becomes very obvious very quickly. Yeah. I have found, and I've done, you know, over a thousand interviews with with C-level executives and we've coached an absolute ton here at Caspian. I have found you're exactly 100% spot on there. And I would add that, there are things that get them so giddy and excited. And when you sit down with your CEO, and especially if you're coaching them, and it's just sort of that one-on-one experience, it can be really difficult. But as you start inserting people into the equation, inserting a good interviewer with them to get at some of the things that they want to talk about, inserting one of their peers so that they can go deep and then having a moderator. You start to get levels of your CEO that you didn't necessarily know you had. And if you're trying to get them to do, like you said, trying to be someone they're not, it's going to be really difficult. And I think that if you can get them long-term, I'm talking like an hour, hour and a half time period and let them go really, really, really deep with one of their peers and a good interviewer, that they can get into levels that you didn't know that they had, and you can get them into talking points that are kind of off of their PR sheet. Okay, what is Ryan Reynolds' diet? Twigs, rocks, sticks, and uh, a tiny bit of green tea. And you can get some really, really brilliant insights. And those are the type of things that really humanize and personalize that person. Getting them talking about their shared experiences, getting them talking about the bad days in the office, the things that they've done. And especially when you are a vendor, it's really hard to talk about vendor stuff, but it's way easier to talk about when you were sitting in the seat. 
And so I've found that that stuff is really interesting. And then you can pull out some of those threads. And then your marketing team can take those little clips, take those little lessons and expand upon those and get those out in front of more people, those vulnerable moments. You can tell a lot about a person by the kind of drawers they wear. And that's not going to happen if you're, you know, scheduling a 30 minute coaching session. It's just not. And so getting them in front of their peers uh, is a great way to do that. This reminded me of the remarkable episode we just put out, like telling your origin story of how your company started goes along with just being really authentic. Like, why are you here? Why did this company come about? Like, who are you trying to help? Sharing like all your goals. And I think along with sharing successes, like sharing your failures as well. Um, I think being like super transparent goes a long way with just like telling people things that you've tried that haven't worked. Um, Again, just being yourself. I feel like maybe it comes down to three things like authenticity, frequency, and consistency. Like being really consistent with just like how much you're sharing on social, like how much you're talking to other people, whether that's on podcasts or events or other interviews. And then just being really like consistent with your messaging as well, like making sure that you're sharing like one true story about your company and your mission, but then also like all of your employees should be doing the same as well. So I think if you as a CEO or founder of a company have a really strong message, um, really strong like mission and value system and have like a very clear kind of mindset as to like what's coming in the future for your company and you're being vocal about that and sharing that, then your employees will as well. So that's just like great for everyone internally, but then also externally as you're like building your personal brand. Yeah. I would add a really tactical thing here is get your CEO sitting down, get a three camera setup where it's one is on them. One is on the other person. uh, One is a wide shot and get them talking and don't try to do what Ryan Reynolds does, which is single person, green screen, face the camera, talk. You will, I promise you, and I've done a bunch of these, you will never get the takes that you want. It's going to feel really forced and awkward and weird. And most, most executives can't do that. But if you get them with the shot directly on there, that like high and tight shot, on them and getting them saying some some vulnerable stuff uh, and getting it out there, it'll it'll work really well. Liam, final thoughts. That we should all strive to be Ryan Reynolds. I love, love you. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I think the biggest thing that I've taken away, and I, I think just everybody's input has brought a lot of insights into when you look at someone or you look at a company or you look at the way that a company's doing something, the way that you see it through your own eyes is much different than the other people around you, right? So, you know, you could sit here and listen to like all of our insights and come up with like, hey, we're going to create this perfect plan to make our CEO do X, Y, and Z. And it'll help us grow pipeline and blah, 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 blah. But ultimately what you need to do is go sit down with your CEO and ask him or her, you know, like, what are you interested in talking about? What are the things that you feel passionate about? What's the story of this company? Where do you want this company to go? How do you want to grow this company? What are the things that you care about? Who else in the company do you trust to, to share the message? And the insights that you gather from them is ultimately what should drive 
whatever you end up doing from a strategic standpoint, because ultimately that's what Ryan Reynolds did, right? He sat down with Dewey, his partner, and said, hey, these are the things that I care about. This is how I want to, you know, present myself. These are the types of things that I'm interested in. Let's go do that. I wouldn't characterize myself as an entrepreneur. I'm, I would characterize myself as someone who um, has found a couple of different things in life that I believed in with every cell in my body, mm. and this is one of them. And so, yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway that I think I got from this. And I would add that you need to manage that. Great advice. Uh, shout out to Brian Brandon out there that he sat down with me and he was like, when I've done this in my past, brilliant comms guy, he was like, you treat the person like a product. That CEO, you have to treat them like they are a product and put a product manager on it and they're responsible for that. And I think if you if you were to peel back the onion on what they've done with Ryan, that they have treated him like a product over and over and over again, and that product happens to use other products and they've done a, a fantastic job. All right, that's it. Make remarkable stuff and get a little bit of that Ryan Reynolds effect in your marketing. Take care. I think we're, I done, think we're here. done here. Stop. Stop it. Don't. Don't. What are you still doing? Get out of here. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, Anika Das, B2B Content Marketing Manager, and Meredith O'Neill, Senior Producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.